for tuning in to Growing Trends. This is Ann Miller. I'm here with my host, Chris Coop, and we're very privileged to have with us on air tonight uh, Norma Bernson, who is the founder and senior partner of Bernson & Associates up in the greater Chicago area. And Norma, you've had a, quite an interesting life and some interesting pursuits nowadays. So I'm, I just kind of want to dive in, and I always like to give our listeners, Chris and I always like to give our listeners some background. So tell us, about Norma, if we've never, someone's never met you before, how would you describe yourself, Norma? <laughs> Insistent, persistent, consistent, relentless. <laughs> I am uh, stubborn, and that would be my husband's description. Uh, me, I consider myself a, a, a rather quiet person. I do a lot of writing, a lot of gardening. Uh, my background, well, uh, I joined the Navy when I was very young, when I was 18 years old, and uh, I met my husband. He, at the time, was uh, he was also in the Navy, and interestingly, he was directing a play, and I wanted to be in the play, so I went to the theater, and it was an L-shaped theater, and I walked through the door and uh, turned to my girlfriend next to me, and I said, that's the voice of my husband, and we've been together now 40 years. So, wow. yeah, that's, uh, he's my kindred spirit, my guardian angel here on Earth. I've, I've uh, done some traveling. I went to Russia. I've been around Europe, a little bit of Africa, the Caribbean, the United States. I uh, have not gone to China, and now with the pollution, I don't think I'm going to go. I would have loved to have seen it 20, 30 years ago. I'll, let me see. And... Why did I start writing a book? It is a funny story. Uh, the book is Sustainable Food for the Globe, One Square Foot at a Time, and it's now become a series. It's almost a grassroots movement. A few years ago, Richard Branson gave a challenge to the world that the waste company were running, they were not taking care of the world, so Plan A wasn't working, so we needed a Plan B. And that struck me. Then a few days after that, I heard on the radio a lot of people, what I call naysayers, talking about we're going to run out of food by the year 2030. And then I got very alarmed because I have a grandniece, and at that time she was two years old. Now, I was in the military, and you would say, no, that's not going to happen, not on my watch. So I wrote the book. And I started getting more and more involved in uh, sustainability. Here we are. So the sustainability sort of hooked up a little bit with Mel Bartholomew, if I remember rightly. From uh, Actually, he, he is my mentor. The first book, I wanted to find out how to garden in a very small area and produce a large harvest. So Mel was very kind, allowed me to interview him. And I interviewed people who did square foot gardening. Now, there, there are a lot, a lot of people who do that. He, he sells a lot of books, just came out with a book for children. So with Mel, what was very interesting was, of course, the fact that the area garden was a four foot by four foot square area. And it could be put up high so anyone with problems person on a, on a wheelchair or with disabilities they still could garden and that was very important for me since i have uh, trouble walking that kept me gardening so it, it, his vision 
for gardening is marvelous. It's just, just beautiful. It motivates. He, he wants to see a garden on top of every house, on every corner. He, he wants through his system to uh, stop poverty. And I think if it was taken seriously, it could. Interestingly, the United Nations just came up with a statement saying that in order to stop world hunger, we would have to turn into a society that does permaculture square foot gardening. And that was announced at the UN last year. I was very surprised because I had said that in my book. What kind of response did you get at the UN? I <laughs> I was not at the UN. They used my information, but the response was very interesting. A lot of people, the hardest part is a lot of people are ready to do this, but we have such a big industrial business in agriculture, and they're, they're very, very deep pockets. They don't really want to change the way that they run the business, you know, the modus operandi. So the change is happening in a grassroots level, and more and more people are realizing with the problems with the GMO and the problems with the, the spraying of uh, pesticides, more and more people are realizing they're really getting sick from the food that they're buying. So they're taking it upon themselves to grow food in their gardens. And they're very creative because a lot of people have very, very small areas. Some of them are doing container gardening, vertical gardening, which is they, they put a garden up a wall and it's amazing. I liked Mel's square foot gardening because the harvest is a very large harvest. So um, I liked it a lot. <laughs> Tell me how your book works in, say, Africa. Because obviously... Oh my gosh! <laughs> As a matter of fact, it's two very interesting stories. The book is used at a university in Zimbabwe, no, excuse me, in Zambia, uh, because one of the collaborators was the, is the director of the head of agriculture of a university there. But what's very interesting at this point in time is I just made a contact with a woman in Zimbabwe, and we are working on getting the book to be downloaded for free. And this is also for your audience. I'll give you the date so you can give it to your audience. But they're going to be downloading the book for free for all the schools. And uh, I am just ecstatic. In that plan, we're, we're trying to get, with this inventor, to get uh, certain products over there. One of them is a kitchen kit so that a lot of the people in the village can secure their food, produce their own and get some independence and hopefully gain a little bit of uh, income. I think that'll work quite well. When I was at school, two of my uh, friends actually were, well, their parents were farmers in uh, Zambia, and they used to come to school in England. It's meant to be a very, very fertile uh, area of Africa, to be honest. It's, a, it's going through a lot of turmoil in the sense that there's a lot of land grabbing right now in Africa. Uh, we have to be very aware that the African people need to keep control over their land. There are a lot of groups working on that. 
the last I heard uh, was from Danielle Nuremberg, food tank, think tank. She had a summit in New York just a few days ago. That's one of the problems that uh, a lot of people are very concerned with because, yes, Africa is, is very fertile. We really do. A lot of people do not want it to become Africa of ink. We wanted to help it stay Africa. Are there any other countries you'd like to see with your system? Worldwide everywhere. <laughs> if we can put it on the moon, there too. <laughs> well, as long as the sun's shining on the moon, I suppose half of it we can do quite well. <laughs> so this has been your lifelong passion, Norma, something that's really been a concern of yours through the years is, is sustainability and food production it's for the world. It's interesting that this just came about a few years ago. I've, I've, I've always been gardening. Before that, I had a business uh, in international trade where I exported medical equipment worldwide. And before that, I was in the military. So this passion was born because of my little grandniece. I, I don't have children. I call, I have fur babies. <laughs> and they're being very good and very <laughs> quiet. But with my grandniece, I realized, oh, my gosh, in 2030, if she's two years old now, when I wrote the book, she'll be 28. What kind of life is that at a, for a 28-year-old, you know? Has uh, that projection changed at all? That projection that motivated you at that time, is that still in place? Actually, it varies the date. Some of the scientists are saying it's getting worse and it's happening quicker, the global warming and the, the problems with the soil and the earth. Some of them say it's going to be 2050, but that the fact that this change is coming is very real. There have been uh, meetings of different governments around the world on trying to figure out how we're going to feed all the population in the world. What bothers me is that at this point in time, we waste so much food that if we took that food, rescued it, we could feed the world population today three times over. And that is one of the things that I am a very, very big advocate of. I have come across a lot of people who are doing very creative things, how they're rescuing food, how the food is, is uh, getting to people who do not have money or very little money. There are a lot of creative ways that this food is just being uh, distributed. I'm very happy to say. I think part of the problem has been that in England we used to have a, an amazing feature called the milkman. And the milkman used to drive around in an electric milk float. In, in other words, it was run on batteries, so it was very, very eco-friendly. And he would deliver fresh milk every day to your house. Consequently, there was zero waste. The milk bottles were made of glass and they were returned every day. And everybody was able to get milk and the, the milkman obviously had a job as well. Today, they've disappeared and we've got plastic containers. Although here in Kansas City, believe it or not, there is a phenomenal dairy called Chateau, which we use quite a lot, who have their own glass milk bottles, which they have returned to the supermarket. And we're getting back to that system. So there's a lot. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Um, there's a, I think California is the first state to have banned plastic bags, which is, you know, very dangerous for the planet. 
a lot of the animals don't know how to deal with it. They eat it. They get entangled with it or, or, or what have you, and then they die. So that is a very big step because what California does, the rest of the country follows. When did that happen, Norma? This, this happened about two months ago. I read about it. You don't hear about this in the media, but it is happening. Uh, I don't know if you remember uh, last year when they had the march. There was a whole world that got together marching against GMO and against climate change. And the, I mean, there were millions and millions and millions of people around the world. So with the Internet, a lot of this information is being given back and forth, but the regular media isn't picking it up. Uh, what I'm, <laughs> what surprises me is I'm a little old gray-haired lady, okay, and I don't move very fast. But I get the other day I had forty-five thousand messages, okay. and I'm like, how am I going to answer these messages? And it's it's all people saying, you know, we're into the grassroots, we're into sustainable food for the globe. How can we help you? And it's very, very rewarding. The the great thing is because you can write a newsletter, send it out to the list. Uh, the things that, that, that we talk about are very small to very big. We talk about how to, like 29 steps to stop food waste at home. Or we make people aware of the fact deforestation is taking place and that there are groups working on getting trees back in the ground. We become aware of who's working in a creative way to resolve the problem. And then a lot of people say, oh, it's not impossible for me. I can do something. I can write about it. I can talk about it. I can give some time to it. I can send some money. Or I can even start a little group and do some planting. The the one that's very interesting is the one that's going on in Mexico. They are taking care of the trees because the monarchs go down there. If we lose those trees, we lose the monarchs. So the people in the area have been have learned that they will lose the monarchs, and, and the monarchs have a great meaning for them. So they are planting trees around the monarch, the, the forest, and they're planting the same type of tree that the monarchs use. And then uh, outside that uh, radius, they're planting other types of trees because the inhabitants of that area work in woodworking. They do a lot of carving. They create a lot of uh, furniture. So this is a way that they're replenishing the forest for the monarchs, but at the same time, they're creating a sustainable system for themselves so that they can stay in business and and keep doing what they're doing and at the same time help the earth. You'll, you'll be surprised, but I probably, by the age of 14, had planted a million trees in forests in England. But Good least for least you. Least. Yeah, Good it was fun, though. You know, there are only two plus twos, but it, it was great fun. One, one of the things that I, I think that um, we've missed and that we need to address at some point in time is this. When you, all the antibiotics that we use in the world today come from the soil. And in fact, at the moment, it's the first 1%. That was the only bit that they could grow as a culture in a laboratory. The other 99% of the soil still has 
tons and tons and tons of microbials and, and antibiotics in it, but they've only just yes. started to be able to identify them by growing them out in the field. One of the things that I suspect we could do that would help all of ourselves is to go outside and dig in the dirt. I know that sounds silly, but I'm sure that if we dug in That's the dirt, we, we must get back to that. Let me tell you, there, is, there are a lot of studies on how children that work in the garden, that it's very, very good for them. As you say, there are a lot of, this is a, oh, the, the earth is, is a, you know, it's soil, it's not dirt, it's the earth. And yeah. there has been, there are studies that have come out. The one that I remember the most, I think it was a study done in Japan, and it was a study of autistic children. And they realized that the children who had disabilities and who were autistic could calm down in a garden and could participate in the garden either by weeding or planting seeds or watering. So that is a big door to a very strange illness. Another thing about gardening is a lot of our veterans that come home with uh, post-traumatic stress disorder and all kinds of other problems, the veterans' hospitals are now starting to do gardening, and these veterans are healing much faster. The reason is that they see a miracle in front of them. They see something that there's nothing there. There's just, you know, some earth, and they put a plant, and this this little plant starts growing, and the person who's watching this is having a relationship and saying, oh, my gosh, I have the power to do something and something positive. And so as the plant grows and the children and the veterans and whoever else is gardening, they be, they get empowered. They see, I can produce food. This food can feed me. If I had more, I can feed others. So it's a very, very healthy, healthy thing. I think also what happens is that they work as a community. One of the things that I've noticed, particularly in this country, is that we all live in our little box. It moves around with wheels on, and then we go to another box, and, and we really don't communicate very much. Recently, I've been deliberately communicating with people around me, and the conversations I've had have been absolutely extraordinary. And, that, and people are so wanting to talk to someone else that... I mean, it, it doesn't matter whether you're in a Starbucks or if you're in uh, a Dillard's or or um, a supermarket. They all want to say something, but they're always frightened to say something because they don't know quite how to start. That's not one of my problems, by the way, Norma. Um. <laughs> no, but I, I understand what you're saying, and it's true. One of the problems, uh, talking about getting a message across. One of the problems that I'm going to be dealing with, I'm going to be giving a lecture, is at a uh, garden club. And this is a problem that's happening all over the world, and that is that our gardeners and our farmers are getting very, very old, and they're dying off. They're very concerned who's going to take on the baton. (laughs) And uh, so I have been reading up on stories about the millennials and how many of them are aware of the earth that they're going to inherit, the planet, how the planet is going to be. And many of the millennials, the one example I can remember off the top of my head is this young man. He got his parents to pay for him to go and become a lawyer. 
Both and behold, after he was aware for like three or four months, he was just disgusted. And he just started thinking, this isn't doing anything. I mean, this is just rhetoric. And he said, okay, mom, dad, I want to be a farmer. <laughs> the parents were like, do you know no. how much that law degree cost? <laughs> oh, my goodness. But that's, what a beautiful story. He, he probably well, he, started to follow his heart. Well, he went to his parents and... The three of them started an organic garden. They're doing extremely well. And nice. he he has been he has been an inspiration to many men. As you say, a lot of people won't talk. But when they hear his story, they say, oh, I don't want to be an accountant anymore. You know, I want to do mm-hmm. gardening. So the status quo of producing food is mm-hmm. going on. It's always been looked down upon, the person who handles the, the soil and, and harvests the food. But... In the situation that we find ourselves today, gardening and farming and things like that, the status quo is going up because people realize that no food, no life. So, yeah, funny how that works. <laughs> Pretty closely. Well, we, we also have to consider the water and, and the fact that most other countries in the world recycle their water many times and use it perfectly well rather yes. than just run away. And, and cause all sorts of pollution with the estrogens and things that happens over here. Yes. There's a lot of things that can be done, and there are a lot of people working on it. One of my, <laughs> I have a, a few things that I, I, I work towards, and one of them is uh, the bees. You know, no bees, no trees, no plants, no food, no life. The bees with these insecticides, uh, we're losing colonies and colony bees around the world. We, we have to stop the pesticide and we have to realize if we lose these bees that pollinate so much of our food then again our food security is at peril. We actually interviewed two ladies. One was a, a very serious bee producer well or honey producer at a farmer's market and they had how many hives? No, I thought she said a couple hundred hives. At least a couple of hundred hives here in, in Kansas City. And they looked after them in a very sensible way. They left them in the fields all year round and just gathered the honey twice a year or, or how often it's um, harvested. Part of, the, part of the problem with the bees in, in, this, in, in this situation at the moment is that they're traveling all over the country to pollinate all sorts of different fruit trees and things. And, and they get stressed out when they go on a semis. Not really the solution at all. They need to be left in an area where they can... Yes, they need to be left in, in their own community. The other thing is when you take these bees out of their community, like if you take them to California where all that almond is grown, the problem is that these bees get exposed to all kinds of horrible chemicals. And what happens is the the bees cannot, what is that called, their navigating system, it, 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 it gets distorted and they cannot Yes, <laughs> they cannot navigate back to that. So yeah. you see, you see millions of them just dead on the ground because they just wore themselves out and they died. And then after that, the beehive collapses. So, it, but then, as as you say, Chris, there are other parts and in places like New Zealand and Australia, they are very, very, um, very up-to-date and very sustainable with their bees. There's an area in New Zealand that produces uh, a special kind of honey 
I mean, excuse me, there's an area in New Zealand where the, the bees eat or, or, or live in a very, in an area where it's full of tea trees and they get the tea tree oil so that when they produce the honey, it has a tea tree oil honey and they've used this to put on wounds. I mean, people come out of a fire and they put the, this honey on them and... Um, it up here. I, I put um, honey on my wife's um, arm when she burnt it light, and it completely healed it. Absolutely, 100%. You're absolutely right. And in England, some of the bandages in the hospitals are actually impregnated with honey because they know how much of a, a healing and antibiotic effect it has. Yes. It's, it's definitely a brilliant thing to use. Nature to me <laughs> is the closest place I'm going to get to heaven because um, it's when I was brought up, I was brought up that we all came into a a, a bar, and uh, I've always been that that story always always made me laugh because everybody was like, you know, the best thing the devil has ever done is to make people think there isn't a devil, and I bring that up because that darn little devil was in the Garden of Eden, and he was messing with our food. He started with the apples. <laughs> like what? So why is everybody so, so, uh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, this has been going on forever. The, the problem with securing our food, the only thing is now that it, 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 it's just all over the media. One thing is we are at a, at a crossroads. If enough people start producing their own food and, again, keeping it in a community, we will be able to feed ourselves. Russia, this past year, they fed that country, which is huge. 88% of the food came from small farms. And there weren't even farms. There were gardens, home gardens. So there's another area, uh, Switzerland. They have a very interesting uh, phenomenon over there where everyone in the community who has a plot of land, they get organized and they grow certain amount of food on their plot of land, and then they have a community meeting. Uh, the food is, is distributed to everyone in the community. They have classes for teaching them canning, preserving food, drying food. And uh, this area in Switzerland is um, self-contained, sustainable. There's another one, another that I know of, an, uh, another area just like that in California where they have been self-sustainable for 15 years. I'm wow. going to be writing about, yeah, I'm going to be writing about that in my second book. Well, Norma, we really look forward to spending more time talking to you about this in the future. Sustainability is definitely a, a buzzword right now, and we've all got to learn what we can do to feed ourselves and feed one another, as you were saying. I'm more intrigued about these communities that are doing that. I know Chris and I have enjoyed the interest that we've seen in, in our country here, the United States, in school gardens. And that's something that I think, you know, you're talking about teaching the children, and that is the future. That is, those are our future little farmers of America. So, uh, you know. Yes, I call, them, I call them the future pioneers. Yes, I like that. <laughs> pioneers. I call them the growing uppers. The growing uppers because the grannies. <laughs> Yeah. 
So, Norma, we will stay in touch with you, and uh, thank you again. And what is the let's tell us the name of your book again before we go, and where people my can. My first, just, my first book is uh, Sustainable Food for the Globe, One Square Foot at a Time. And I will send you the information when that book will be available for download for free. Uh, because it's going to be free for five days. It can be downloaded anywhere in the world. But this is specifically a download that we're donating to Zimbabwe. Now, the book that I'm working on now that comes out on Earth Day is Sustainable Food for the Globe, Creative People Producing Food in Abundance. Norma, thank you. And do you have a website that to also to learn more about what you're doing and... Thank you for uh, doing this. My website is www.dainable slash food slash for slash the slash globe slash dot com. Now, I don't know if I'm saying the right thing because I don't think it's a slash, it's a dash. But if you just put in sustainable food for the globe, it pops up with all kinds of interesting things. And um, before I... (laughs) Before I go, I'll be very, very brief. This week, I put up a story. I was uh, rewriting The Lord of the Rings. I I read that. (laughs) I read it. You put it on LinkedIn. It was great about Frodo and then fighting against the... I gave, right, he had a ring, but I gave Frodo the seeds of the world. So um, (laughs) everybody's like, I'm with Frodo. (laughs) Yes, that was beautiful. I really enjoyed that. That was great. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for the book two to come out. <laughs> the book comes out on Earth Day, and that is April 22nd. It'll be available uh, on Amazon and also from the website. So wonderful. And if anybody has any stories of, uh, you know, they see a problem and they see a solution, please send it to me because after the book is published, I'm going to continue putting all the stories in a newsletter. I want everyone that is working towards saving our planet to to get their story out so other people can say, oh, I can do that too. That's awesome. Norma, we've actually put your website on our... We have a website called www.growtrains.com. You're there, and I, I looked earlier. There's about 187 people have gone to your website from that website so far already. Thank you. Oh, you're more than welcome. I'm (laughs) sure there'll be a lot more. Hello, people. I'm a grandma. It takes me time to answer. This is is something, a very interesting story, and I will stop because I know your timing and everything. When I was a very, very young little girl, I was in Puerto Rico, and I sat down on this stairway, and there was this man playing the cello. And everybody's like, who's this kid sitting next to this man? And I mean, I was just enthralled, and I was talking to him. And I said, do you get a lot of fan mail? And he said, yes. I said, do you answer all of it? He said, every single one. Lo and behold, I go back to my parents' table where they are just mortified, and they said, leave that man alone. I said, why? He says, uh, if it does Pablo Casals, the cellist. But that man put in my mind that I have to answer every inquiry by myself that I learned from him. That's, that's, yeah, that's, uh, that's one of the few little tidbits that uh, 
Well, grow your own food and answer your own letters. <laughs> Something like that. All right, Norma, you take care. We'll be talking again soon. Thank you very much for inviting me, and stay warm. Thanks, Norma. Good night. Thank you all for listening today. We really appreciate your support and tuning in on Growing Trends. Again, make sure to look for us on growingtrends.org for the podcast, or we all are, are on iTunes. You can look for us as Growing Trends there as well. Look for the blonde and the Brit, and then you'll know that must be them. Thanks for Man and Chris.